one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sophie, and this is She's All Fat, the podcast for fat positivity, radical self-love, and chill vibes only. In this episode, we're talking about sex and intimacy in quarantine with Sonali Rashadwar, aka the Fat Sex Therapist. A quick note, we recorded this interview before the police murders of George Floyd and successive Black Lives Matter protests, which is why we don't talk about them in this episode. Make sure to listen for our call to action at the end of the app to do your part to counter anti-Black violence. But first, it's time for our SAF book club. Every week this season, we'll be reading a chapter of Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origins of Fat Phobia by Sabrina Strings as a team, and we want the fat family to do the same. Check the show notes for independent Black-owned bookstores to find your copy. I'll usually start each episode with some thoughts, some questions, and what I learned from this week's chapter, but since chapter one and two comprise a special part one of the book, we'll have some more specific exercises next week after we've read chapter two and can talk about part one together. While you're reading, please take the time to journal about what comes up for you when you're reading this work. If you're white or a non-black person of color, allow yourself the vulnerability of thinking about how your taste and vision have been shaped by this history. If you're black, please take care of yourself. We love you. Read chapter two. All right. I think it's time we got off. Wink, wink. Hi, family. I'm here with Sonali Rashatwar to talk about sex and intimacy in the time of pandemic and in quarantine. So hi, Sonali. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure. Can you talk about your work and your connection to fat justice a little bit? Give a little intro to yourself. My name is Sonali Rashatwar. I use she and they pronouns. I feel like it's important to let folks know what pronouns I use because uh, sometimes just by hearing a voice, we'll assume gender, but I'm non-binary. And the only way for folks to know that is for me to tell folks that. Yes. So um, I am popularly known on Instagram as the fat sex therapist. And I've been putting out kind of like radical fat education and anti-oppression education on Instagram for about like two years now. And um, my work work, like the stuff that actually gets me paid, like I don't get paid to post on Instagram, but <laughs> my, my paid labor is as a clinical social worker. I live in Philadelphia and my business partner and I just opened a private practice um, just under a year ago. So wow. we're almost on our one year anniversary. Cool. I quit my nonprofit job and we decided to go into business together. And we have a little place called Radical Therapy Center in Philadelphia, 
where I specialize in working with folks and offering sex therapy that is fat positive, that is uh, trans and queer centered, that is uh, conscious of the ways that internalized fat phobia can make us want to shrink ourselves, not just physically, but emotionally and sexually in many parts of our lives. And I feel like my play, my the space that I navigate on Instagram or the spaces that I like to create on in virtual in the virtual world, which right now in COVID, a lot of us are exploring the many rooms that exist in this virtual world. Um, I like for us to to talk about how that internalized fat phobia, how we see it in many places, in the boardroom, in the bedroom, um, in the break room at work. I love that. That's a great sum up. So before we get to the meat of it, I want to be open and say that we heard from a handful of listeners when we invited Sonali on the show. Some excited, some anxious, some upset. Sonali talks a lot about the plight of the Palestinian people, and that makes her a target for Zionist anti-Palestinian attacks, especially ones that seek to conflate anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism and confuse people like me who came to this combo not as educated about the whole situation. We decided to let Sonali speak a little about her activism in this area in her own words, and we're also talking more about this on our posts and story on our Instagram if you'd like to learn more about how Palestinian liberation connects with the Black Lives Matter movement as well as fat liberation. So go check that out. Here's what Sonali said. It is not new that I have been talking about Palestine. I first learned about the atrocities that are happening in Palestine in a women's studies course around 2010. And when you learn something that is so horrific, when you learn that people are living in open air prisons, how could one not share that information with the world, right? How could one not make sure that you know the very most heinous things that we know to exist in the world are actively still happening in order to like push us out of this place of complacency, right? That's the kind of radical educator that I am. That, and I use this James Baldwin quote in a lot of my workshops that like, you know, the role of the artist is the role of a lover. If I love you, I have to help you to see the things that you can't see. And that is very much the, at the center of my radical education politic. So like, it's not new that I've been talking about Palestine. And when I think about how this became an issue in January of 2019, that's when it like really peaked. It was because I had like really casually mentioned that like, yeah, the reason that I talk about fat phobia and colonization at the intersection is because uh, we see body image used in many uh, heinous, atrocious, uh, actually anti-human ways around the world. And one of those ways is in Palestine. And I said it really casually on um, an Insta story. And it was from that that it really took off, that folks saw that I have this large platform. I'm talking about Palestine pretty openly, you know, without really uh, thinking twice of, of what uh, Zionist um, organizing could, what, what the consequences of, of Zionist backlash could look like for me. Second of all, to be critical of Zionism is not the same as anti-Semitism. Anti-Zionism is not the same as anti-Semitism. 
I am not anti-Semitic. I love Jewish people. I have deep appreciation for the resistance struggles that Jewish people have survived and created and the legacies that exist now because of Jewish resistance. I have deep respect and adoration. And some of my closest friends are Jewish people. Like I, there's no hatred. My criticism of the Israeli state comes from understanding and, and hearing firsthand accounts of what it's like to live under Israeli occupation as a Palestinian citizen. That is where my position comes from and it is firm and it is steadfast and it's not going anywhere. All right. Okay. What is one thing you have been doing in quarantine to take care of yourself? <laughs> I'm laughing because I I just got over a hump the last two days. I feel like I was on a shame spiral. Oh man. Where I'm like really learning about myself, like how much productivity shame I have. Me too. That's what I talked about in therapy this week. And it like fuels me. Yes. I'm shocked by it, frankly. I thought I was better than this. <laughs> I am not shocked at all. It's like a huge symptom of ADHD like stuff. And I have ADHD real hard. And a lot of that is like wrapped up in that. And it's really come out during this. My executive functioning is down the tubes. And like because of that, I'm just like, cool, boy, I'm garbage. Like there's no – and my therapist was like, why are you being so mean to yourself? And I was like, I deserve it. I was like, it's like – it's so insane. That's what my girlfriend said. My girlfriend was like, what are you doing to yourself? Yeah. It's so hard when you're deep in it and you're like – why haven't I reached the New York Times bestseller list yet? Like, it's like, geez, calm down. And so some things that help are like usually making myself food that tastes good. Yes. And like uh, engaging in substances that are sometimes illegal in certain yeah, states. Yeah, me too. High 24-7, 420 blaze it, baby. <laughs> California has legalized. Yeah. I think that watching porn that was really degrading helped me to feel like it was okay to feel shitty about myself. Oh, interesting. And it like fetishized my shame in such a way that I, I took control over it, over it, right? Like I was aroused by it. I got off on it. And then I was like, I'm done with it. That's amazing. Wait, that's so cool. Isn't it? Dang. Let's move on to some of our listener questions. Okay, so here's one of our listener questions. Thank you to all the H's and Hannah's who wrote in for us. Um, okay, this person says, I've recently found the idea of using kink and sex and sexual intimacy as a tool for healing trauma. Clementine Morgan talks about it on their Instagram. We'll link that in the show notes. I found it to resonate now as we navigate collective trauma and that prioritizing good, good sex is comforting and grounding. I just love to hear y'all's thoughts. Thank you for your work blah, blah, nice things. That's really nice. Thank you. Thank you for that question. That's cool. What a cool one to come right after what you said. That is such divine timing because kink is so important for some of us who have survived trauma because it is one of those ways that we are able to manipulate something that happened to us and make it part of something that I control, that I have agency over. And when, when I fetishize my shame, when I fetishize something that I'm ashamed about, I get to then um, own it, right? Interesting. I, I get to have say over how it 
how it happens. I got to create the power exchange around it. And um, I sometimes get questions in my AMAs about whether or not it is okay to have um, non-consent or coercion fantasies or rape fantasies as a survivor of trauma. And the answer is always yes. As long as, the, as long as the fantasy feels good to us, as long as it feels like arousing, we're comfortable with it, it doesn't feel shameful in a bad way, then I say, yeah. Because I think, again, like the traumatized brain does this really protective thing where it'll morph and manipulate um, an instance that caused us great pain and suffering. Um, and it will shift it in such a way so that we can, again, own it and have control over it. And if we are, it's almost like if we were to fall off of a bike, um, having a fantasy that incorporates uh, the pain from falling off the bike is kind of like us uh, getting back on the bike and learning how to ride it again. That's so interesting. Dang. What are, so are there some resources that you know of that people could explore if they are interested in learning more about thinking about things that way or like exploring that? I know that there are some good books on shadow work and why we fantasize about what we fantasize. Um, I would have to do a little bit of digging to come up with a couple of titles for you. And I can offer those to you for sure for the show notes. Great. Yeah, we'll put those in the show notes. Yeah, I haven't – I mean, I know generally about kink, but all in all, I'm a pretty vanilla – like, I'm monogamous. I'm vanilla. I'm, like, very not – I'm always like, oh, that's cool for you. Like, that's my general. <laughs> my therapist would tell you that that means that you probably have very little trauma incorporation into your sex, and that's actually a good thing. I think that's true. I was actually talking about that with one of my friends because I definitely have a past of trauma, but I don't have a past of ro romantic relationship trauma. All of my romantic relationships have been very, I mean, the, the all the two of them. I've had two boyfriends and I'm still with the second one. Like I'm just very settled, but um, they've never had like my trauma comes out in much different ways in my relationship, just not in sex. Like it comes out in ways like um oh I feel criticized when he's not criticizing me or it's like much more feelings stuff and I have always found sex to be like a time when I just feel totally good and loved and like it doesn't not that people who do kink don't feel that way but I've just never connected it in that way which is really like interesting I guess I feel like for me um I also am somewhere on the spectrum of like kink vanilla I don't really I don't know where I am exactly on the placement, but I know that I like, I like some things rough. I like some power um, exchange and I do like some like taboo um, ass shit. And <laughs> when I think about those scenarios, um, there's something about like the, the impact that feels good. Like there's something about like feeling overpowered, something about feeling um, like the roughness of sex that feels like uh the pain is like getting to me, like it's uh, penetrating the surface of the bubble as if like th there was like a numb shell around me or something. Dang. That makes sense. I feel I am always – yeah, that's just so interesting how like differently people incorporate trauma. Like I think I just have so much of it in my like emotional interactions that's just like that's enough. Like <laughs> – you don't need it anywhere else. Like, that's fine. You can work it out there. You don't have any time. 
Oh, for sure. Like humiliation will never be part of my no of my, of my fabric. Like I don't want to hear you talk negatively about my body. I want you to worship me. I want you yeah. to actually do the opposite and tell me how like actually like strikingly magnetic my body is to you. You can't even resist how beautiful I am. Yeah, I just want nice things. I like totally like I honestly kind of I'm obsessed with like my friends who I know who are very vocal about like sex stuff and having liking things different ways and like I'm so interested in learning about it and like supportive of my friends being happy in like whatever way but then every single time I've tried to imagine it like I have a friend who's uh okay her name is Gabby Herstick and she calls herself like the Bruja Witch and like she I think and she like wrote a book about uh or maybe that's someone else uses that tagline I don't know she's uh she's Latinx and she wrote about like witchcraft and stuff. She has a book, two books now. And she posts on Instagram, all these pics of her, like in ropes and stuff. And like with these masks on and stuff that I know is like part of some sort of kink play. And I'm always like, like clearly it's extremely like, like and, and I'll post her Instagram in the comments. Cause like, it's cool and artistic and like interesting. And then clearly it's very powerful and sexy for her. But anytime I look at it, I'm like, I don't want to be tied up. That mask looks sweaty. Like, that looks uncomfortable. Like, I know. <laughs> it's like, oh, God. Sweaty masks. I so feel you on that. And, like, latex and stuff like that. Yeah, I could never. But but that's exactly it, right? So there is this idea around sexuality where we often think of it like, – we were often taught to think of sex as, a, as if it was, like, a baseball game where, like, if you get to first base, second base, third base, and home run, there's, like, a completion, Right. But actually, there's like this shift and there's a specific person in the field whose name is escaping me. He is actually wanting us to shift and think of it more as like if we were going to agree to order a pizza and like how we actually have to have a conversation about the kinds of toppings that we want on that pizza. And like what is really great about knowing that, you know, some people like green peppers is that I don't have to like green peppers and my pizza can be just as satisfying for me. Cool. Here's another question. Hey, I had a question for Sonali. I really want to try FaceTime sex, but I don't know the person I'm sexting that well outside of having sex, and it's just going to be awkward. I wanted to know if Sonali has any tips for getting through the initial awkwardness of FaceTime sex. I wonder what it would feel like if for FaceTime sex, I wonder if like the lights were dim and if we had like, you know, if we set the scene up to feel a little bit more like that person was sitting on the couch next to us, right? Like, what if we had some soft music going? Maybe we had a candle or two. Maybe we had just eaten a meal that we really enjoy that made us feel, you know, it was just delicious. And we maybe we feel dolled up because we just took a shower. It was our first one in four days. Or maybe we uh, extra exfoliated in some way. Maybe we, like, did something special, right? Whether or not you like makeup or not, whether or not you do your hair up, whether or not your hair is overgrown like mine from quarantine. Um, sometimes that alone can like set the mood, but also I think what's underneath this is a lot of pressure that we put on ourselves for needing that first time to be perfect. And so what can really be helpful is to remind ourselves like, okay, I got to take a deep breath and just let myself remember that it doesn't have to be perfect. And that, you know, sex is also supposed to be playful and fun. And 
I actually really love it when me and my partner, my love, one of my lovers, we break character and we just like collapse onto each other and we're just like laughing because <laughs> we both broke character and it's just funny and we just get to be humans together. I love that too. Do you have any tips for initiating that? Like I think part of this question that I'm feel like that I am reading into it is being like, okay, if you like because they say, I don't know the person I'm sexting that well outside of having sex. So they're like comfortable initiating or having sexting sex, but maybe they don't know how to transition to FaceTime sex or how to not feel uncomfortable with that. I am a huge advocate of radical transparency. So it's kind of, it, it, it tries to push us to model the kind of communication that we're looking for from the other person. So I use it in ways where I'll say, I am really nervous to ask you about whether or not we can move from sexting to FaceTime sex. Um, how do you feel about that? So it kind of like asks the question for me while also establishing and communicating that I'm nervous even to ask it. Yeah. There's also, I think you can always, if you're like nervous about asking too many, like if this is a person who you really don't know and don't have a relationship with apart from just sexting or something, then I don't know if this is good advice. You tell me if this is good advice or not, okay? I always think that with sex stuff, you can suggest things in a like very positive light by being like, hey, I was thinking about how fun and sexy it would be to do FaceTime sex. What do you think? Like being like, I think this would be sexy. Do you feel that way too? Because then you don't have to like – if you don't want to talk about feelings too much with this person, if you're like this is just your – outlet or whatever, then you can just bring it up. But nobody is going to – even if they say no, then they're going to not say no in a way that, like, makes you feel bad because you've already said, I think it would be sexy to see you doing this thing. And everyone likes to hear that. Who doesn't want to hear that, you know? So they're going to be like, oh, my God, thank you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'll even encourage my clients to, you know, when we are able to do it in person, like, really bring – bring your voice down in octaves to a lower place and elongate your vowels and, you know, make whisper into your lover's ear how much you would enjoy to see X thing, see them do X, right? Like, how is that not arousing to someone? But actually it involves all these complex things around like communicating directly, right? Uh, communicating assertively and asking for what you want and consent. Okay. That was great. We have another great question. Okay, my question. I'm quarantining alone and feeling absolutely starved for physical affection, both platonic and sexual. I am so jealous of people who are able to get a hug from their partner, friend, or family member right now, and I often feel tempted to snap at them when they complain about how anxious they feel, which is not, which I know is not fair. This isn't a suffering contest, but still, being unable to touch someone for months on end feels like a special level of hell. How can I comfort myself right now when all I want is to be comforted by another human being? How can I show compassion for myself and others when I'm feeling bitter and alone? Dang. I feel you. I mean, I'm really lucky to be quarantining with my partner, but I have a couple of friends who are alone and I have definitely made like a bigger effort with them to check in and be in touch with them because like being alone right now, well, one of my friends is alone and they're like thriving. They love being alone. But a lot of my friends who are alone are like having a rough time, you know? So I feel that. Yeah. As an alone person, I feel like I'm going through the 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 the, the, the spikes and crashes uh, also. 
as someone who lives alone, I think that we are in the part of quarantine where we have to, if we've been doing, you know, following the rules and if we've been cautious and if we've been washing our hands and, you know, keeping up on, on the precautions the way we should be, I think that it is okay for us to negotiate with really specific people, you know, who can we let into our pod and to create these like small units so that we can actually get these really necessary human interactions and those needs met because we do need physical touch we cannot survive without it i think it helped me when i read something that was like it's all about mitigating risk for you and others it's like impossible to totally eliminate it which is not to say we are encouraging people to just go out and hook no, up that is of course. not what i'm saying but if you have like a friend who's also living alone what if you like are like hey what if we do groceries together and then we can hang out sometimes and we agree not to go anywhere else? Like what if we, you know? Or we or we agree to watch a movie together on Wednesday nights or we agree to, to hug each other and sit and cuddle, right? Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that as single people and really in practicing relationship anarchy, we need to create units so that we have the opportunity to interact with others the way that partnered people or people who are experiencing romantic and sexual love get to have those needs met. We have to create those systems for ourselves because it's just not built in for us right now. I think it's a lot harder for people who have roommates um, that they're not necessarily close with because I've seen a lot of people commenting about and like Facebook groups about like, oh, my roommate is bringing a lot of people over to hook up with. It makes me really uncomfortable or like, oh, my roommate like blah, 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 you know, so it's like harder to navigate in that situation because there's a whole other person whose risks and needs you have to navigate. Right. It requires more communication really is essentially it. How about the part of the question that's like, how can I show compassion for myself and others when I'm feeling bitter and alone? I think a lot of people can relate to that. I think that we have to be comfortable remembering that jealousy is a normal human emotion that we are allowed to feel. We are allowed to feel bitter that I don't have something that someone else has and that someone else feels ungrateful for that thing that they have. That is okay. You know, the line is whether or not we're projecting that onto someone else. And it seems like that person, you know, was doing a good job of not snapping on those friends, but instead checking in and saying like, wait a second, I do actually have access to pockets of community where I could create those established connections where we could say, yeah, let's cuddle together on Wednesday night and let's have a sleepover or let's, you know, let's hug. Let's agree that we're going to hug each other. And that's going to be the relationship that we have for each other. Uh, as someone who's non-monogamous, I feel like that is a negotiation that has to happen. So if I'm, and I, I also, um, as, so as non-monogamous, I made the decision to go and have sex with one of my partners. And what that did was it affected the rest of my relationship. So my girlfriend and I, we couldn't see each other for two weeks. But if we are taking those types of precautions, then, you know, that's okay. I think it's okay as long as we are communicating to everyone involved. We are seeking everyone's consent. And, you know, my girlfriend and I weren't able to hang out because her roommates are, are really particular about their boundaries. And so... As a good partner, I have to respect those boundaries. And that that's the compassion we need to do. I would also like to suggest, like, especially this, the question, how can I comfort myself right now when all I want is to be comforted by another human being? I, like, strongly relate to that as somebody who has anxious, pers like, connection type, you know? I, like, often 
like my partner and I like are often at different stages of being ready to talk to each other after a fight. And I always am like ready to talk and hug sooner. And it has been very hard for me to learn. It was hard for me at the beginning to learn like, okay, it's like you can handle it if you have to wait another two hours for them to have time alone. That felt so impossibly hard at the beginning. It was so hard for me to handle. And now that I've gone through that and seen like, oh, he's not leaving. He just needs time alone and like built up that tolerance for myself. It's a lot easier. And what my therapist and I have worked on are things like ways I can self-soothe while I'm waiting to feel reconnected to my partner. So she always suggests things like taking a bath or a shower, doing like putting lotion on, doing something nice for your body like that, eating something good that makes you feel good, doing something that um, uses one of your senses that you can give to yourself or like using grounding techniques if my anxiety gets too high. Like um, there's a lot of those that you can Google, like Google grounding techniques and find one that like works for you. But like breathing stuff and reading or just even like look like I have a book by my bed of all the postcards Victor sent me over the years and I like read those and then I'm like oh yeah Victor loves me he just needs a little bit like of time by himself right now so there's a lot of like techniques you can use when you're like to comfort yourself even when you feel like all you like you can't be comforted without another person it has really helped my sense of of health for myself to realize that I can comfort myself even when it's really hard And I really want to underline the inner work that you did to be able to say like, Victor loves me and I, I just need like time to, to self-soothe. That's the inner work that is often missing. Like we will do the behaviors of breathing. We'll do the behavior of, um, taking the shower, but we won't have said to ourselves and created positive self-talk within ourselves where this is conversation happening, where we get to have, where we get to say, well, I feel like my, my need to be soothed is unmet. Well, I can meet that need for you. Like, where is the reparenting happening internally? That's so beautiful. And, like, also I want to say it's okay to feel really anxious. Like, you don't have to successfully soothe yourself right now. Everything is scary right now. Like, nothing's normal. So I, ha- I had a while where I was, like, feeling critical of myself for not being able to calm down. And because I often do that kind of second level like criticizing of my own feelings stuff that's like very roped into my former ed stuff as well i think and like victor noticed me doing that and was like what are you doing like this is we're in a pandemic of course you're anxious like what so i think if that's part of it it, like it for me it helped to be like i know that it, it seems like a platitude but to be like it's okay to not be okay it's like so hard to sit with discomfort sometimes but i have really gained a lot of like confidence in my emotional resilience by sitting in that discomfort and letting myself see how I'm still alive. Like an hour later, I've been uncomfortable the whole hour and I'm still alive. I'm still here. Like I'm still doing it and I'll figure out at some point how to feel better. Like that process is very helpful for me, even though it it is very hard. And if you're experiencing more agitation, it might be too hard to sit with for a while. Yeah, it requires trust, right? It requires trust that you're not always going to feel this way and that when you're when ever your body is ready, it will shift into the next emotion. Yeah. Yes. Which is hard. So, I hope this age or Hannah feels a little comforted by that and we'll post some resources in the show notes. 
Okay, we have one last question, and then I have a couple questions for you. Okay, our last question is a fun one. And if you haven't already moved your children out of the room, move them out (laughs) now. So right before quarantine, I invested in a large massager wand and strap-on kit to enjoy with my partner. Truly having the best sex of my life, cue confetti cannons and air horn sound, and we're both very open to trying new things. I love this question. Any unique positions or fun scenarios where one or both of these toys can be used? We're both small fats with vaginas and delightfully high sex drives. (laughs) That's so cute. I mean, some things that I think of are like role play. Uh, you know, some things that I think of are planning a scene or, you know, taking away certain sensory experiences. So like a blindfold or, or even uh, what are the things you put in your ears for muting earplugs? out noise? Just earplugs? Earplugs. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't know. Is there a sex earplug that I don't know the name of? <laughs> it's like is there a specific sex plug. Like, I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes there are like ways that you can heighten the experience by taking away different senses, l- like sight, like sound, um, like the ability to move hands or wrists. So I'm wondering, like, that could be interesting. Um, I'm wondering about um, sex games. I know there's like card games and there are like dice games. Mm, that sounds fun. Are there websites? I'm I'm sure there are. Are there guides for different like positions for fat people? We get asked this a lot. We get asked a lot how to like because a lot of porn slash like you know Cosmo or whatever like Playboy is like thin people a lot of the time. So we get a lot of questions about how to modify different positions to work for larger bodies. Do you have like resources for that? Yeah. There's a great book called Big Big Love that is extremely helpful, especially around like emotionally coaching ourselves to be the person on top or to to use an item like a um, a, a liberator um, cushion. So these bolsters kind of are like uh, triangle cheese wedges, if you were to imagine like that. And they kind of go under your butt and they kind of elevate your genitals so that they exist more in the air. Oh, I know all about these because I have a I have a pillow for my like uh what's it called? I get acid reflux and so I have to sleep on a pillow. And every single person who sees it is like, is that a sex wedge? I'm like, no, it's my acid reflux pillow. It's not sexy <laughs> at all. You could make it sexy. But then I'd know my butt had been on it. When I my head's on it, I'd have to do so much laundry. <laughs> I don't want to deal with it. You could have a special pillowcase for for when your butt's on it. It's very large. You have to pay so much money for the anyways. Yeah, anyways, I know, I know. What you're it's about. a whole thing. <laughs> okay, we'll link that book in the show notes. So I think about pillows. I think about different positions. Like it's it's better described in the book, but there I think there are some really interesting positions that could be great. Uh, definitely like role playing is just so interesting because then we get to fuse our own fantasy into real life scenarios if that arouses us ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. So, there's a lot of people I know who are quarantined with their partners, and a couple people have felt like like I've been really interesting I've been interested in seeing how many people have like filed for divorce after being in quarantine you know and like mm-hmm. how obviously quarantine is putting pressure on people's relationships in new ways especially if they have kids too I think that adds like a whole other level to it yeah but if you are in a normally healthy relationship that is struggling a little bit right now um, while you're quarantining together, maybe getting sick of each other, maybe just fighting, maybe whatever. Do you have any tips for how to like reconnect and try to have some fun while we're all locked in together? Yeah, yeah. So one thing that's been really helpful for um, those who I know who are quarantined with partners is making sure that you, if you have the space for it, to have separate workspaces and then to not really see each other during the wor- the work day in like big air quotes, and then to have like structured, you know, solo um, de-stress time and then have structured. That's been really important for us. We didn't talk about doing that, but it was like really important to do that. Yeah, exactly. It's so important where you get to, ha- you get to still retain the really important parts of non-quarantine life with like workplace, solo time, and then partner time. So like that's really helpful because then it doesn't inundate everyone um, with like all the time partner time so that you get sick of each other. It's been interesting for us because uh, Victor is much less social than I am. I'm like an extremely social person and I get a lot of my social interaction slash feedback slash like what I don't know the right word is but like I get I definitely get energy from my social interactions and and being in person with people. And the lack of that has been hard because I can't ask for more from Victor. He's like at his limit, you know? So it's been – and we're very different people. Like Victor in normal times, Victor's social interaction is capped at when I bring people over and he cooks dinner. And then I'm like, do you want to go out and see anyone? He's like, no, that was enough. I want to hang out at home with the dog. Like we're just very different about this. And usually it's fine because I leave. I give him lots of alone time. Like I'm hanging out with my friends. And all of a sudden it's super different. And half the week he's in his office room like, can I just be alone tonight? Like, that's fine. You could be alone tonight. That's totally fine. <laughs> like go hang out, do your thing. And like, again, that work that I mentioned earlier of being able to see it as this is just Victor's need. Not like he hates me, he's sick of me, whatever. It's also a lot easier for me than probably for other people because I also have a friend quarantining with us so I can hang out with my friend part of the time. But like I do – I hope that people are able to like separate their different needs from like like blaming each other for stuff because it really is true like you can't be with – you cannot be with the same person all day. The only person you can be with all day every day is yourself and you have to like get comfortable with that, which is hard. And even then you might need a break. Right? 
that's why I get high. <laughs> Sometimes I don't want to be with myself <laughs> anymore. Yeah, exactly. We need to like numb out. Oh my God. Okay. And then what about people who are quarantined separately from their partners? There's obviously ways to maintain intimacy without physical contact, like phone sex or like sexting or something or, you know, like how do you do you think that there's anything else that people might not have thought of that can help bring some intimacy back because sometimes like video call can feel a little sterile i think you know i saw this really cute thing and i think that there are more products like this that are hitting the market nowadays because of we just need technology to bridge that like physical gap it with for long-term relationships i saw these really cute products um that um so I think there's like a watch. So like two people have watches and like, if you're thinking of the other person, you can tell them that you're thinking of them by like tapping the watch and it sends a vibration. <gasps> That's so cute. And there's another one where like, um, it's like this little box that sits on your desk. Oh, I've like, seen that one. And when someone thinks of you, like it, it just like jiggles and you look at it and there's like a little message there. Yeah. I think those things are so cute. There's also um, my friend who lives with me, Dana, whose Instagram I'll link below. She's also like a, a sex educator person and she's about to try out for an article like a bunch of new sex toys where the other person has like the remote or whatever yeah. and you can play with those over distance. Exactly. I was like laughing about this yesterday because again, as it like extremely vanilla i could just see myself like my my imagination immediately goes to me being like no turn it up like just being like annoyed because they can't figure it out right but i'm sure if you like that kind of thing it could be really cool yeah same i'm like i know how i like it i don't need you to play with all that i'm sure part of the the like the thing about that is like oh someone else has control of it is really like the main thing or something yeah some people do enjoy that you know that's true um and then do you have any ideas for like sex outside of the traditional sense or like physical intimacy and or connecting over that while we're all in separate places just like okay if someone's like i'm so fucking tired of doing like one video chat thing and like video sex and like it's not enough and blah blah blah, like how are there are there out of the box ideas for things we can do together Mm. uh yes So I love the idea of going back to the things that really excited us about childhood. So I love the idea about like love letters. Uh, I love the idea of like scavenger hunts. Um, I love the idea, like you could do a virtual scavenger hunt for sure. Um, I love the idea of like sending small gifts or tokens in the mail or like uh, something that made you think of that person, but it it just being physical. sending photos to each other that you've like printed out from the internet. Um, I love the idea of cooking together over FaceTime or even like ordering. If you both love Chipotle, you both order Chipotle and then you get to sit across from each other. Like there's very sweet things like that. And then, okay, final question for me is what are your favorite masturbation resources if people are feeling like they want to learn more about themselves during this time? or if they want new stuff or like, what do you recommend for people wanting to learn more? Mm. I have been linking folks to this Teen Vogue article about masturbation because I think that uh, materials that are often geared towards teenagers are often really great at removing a lot of that stigmatizing language um, and, and offering really accessible ways to understand our own bodies. 
Um, if you're thinking more uh, specific to, you know, I really want to get into anal sex or, or think about, you know, what it would take to try anal, then there's like Maybe specific. just people, maybe just if there's like, oh, do you recommend any sites in particular if people feel very, if people are just approaching like more porn for the first time, if you're like, here's some sites that I think have good variety or, or ethical or whatever. For folks who are looking for like ethical, queer, trans porn, everyone that I know who's anyone subscribes to Crashpad series and they are a great, they are a great affordable place. It's like 30 bucks a month and you get access to the entire catalog. Um, there are even places like kink.com. So I like kink.com because at the end of the scene, they'll do an interview with each of the people who was performing in the scene. And you get, and you just get to remember that like they're people who like care about each other and like, don't hate each other like the scene might have implied <laughs> that's awesome okay that was helpful i think we'll link all those <laughs> i'll link to kink.com in the show notes i'm gonna get demonetized oh my god <laughs> okay we'll link to some stuff in the show notes we'll figure out what we can like and and actually the the last one that i want to add is b vibe b vibe had for folks who are interested in anal play or are pegging or anywhere in that realm uh, check out B-Vibe. They have some really amazing guides for anal sex. That's the that's the most uh, sex shamey I feel is whenever someone mentions, mentions anal sex. Look, I have IBS. I don't want anything going on. <laughs> yeah, it might, it might feel like a one-way exit. Yeah. yeah, I get it. Like nobody needs to go back there. That's just for me and my IBS. <laughs> that's all it is. Yeah, you're allowed to have privacy. Yes, you're allowed. But for other people, that seems cool if they like it. Um, I just can't imagine not being in a fight with my own butt constantly. <laughs> That's what I am. <laughs> it's between me, my butt, and cheese. That's the fight. It's a three-way fight. <laughs> oh, damn. Who will win? The cheese. You. The cheese. Always wins. Oh, wow. The cheese. Wow. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> uh, okay. So let's wrap up. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You can find Sonali on their website, www.sonali.com. E-E-R.com and on Instagram at the fat sex therapist. We're going to have you back on our next full season to do a little fat sex 101. So if you have a little question about sex and fatness that's not related to quarantine, feel free to send us a voice memo or an email at FYI at she's all fat pod.com. And one thing you can do for yourself this week is to masturbate. And I would encourage people to do that if they are comfortable with that. Why the fuck not? Have some self-pleasure. Why not? So sending my heart out to all the family, all the Hannahs and H's. If you're with your partner, if you don't have a partner, if you're not with your partner, if you're with your partner and your kids so you can't get any time alone. Um, we love all of you and we hope you're staying safe and happy in quarantine. And our patrons will see us over for the mini. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Yay. Goodbye. Bye-bye. And that's our show. Producing SAF in COVID times is made possible by our beloved patrons. Special thanks to Georgina, Margaret Gushu, Elaine White, Charles Lithgow, Courtney Butner, 
Hillary Thompson, Sarah Ashraf, Tamar Kim, Lindy Liggett, and Lisa Little. You're all my favorites. Thank you so much. This week, your call to action is to contribute to the Black Sex Worker Collective's upcoming online event, Who's Allowed to Make Money? Workers in Solidarity. From their site, quote, demand economic justice for all our workers and artists who are being left out of financial support conversations by local government. You can do that by helping the Black Sex Worker Collective raise money and awareness to directly support impacted communities, which is all too often Black and POC members of society. We'll have links in our show notes to the events, GoFundMe, and Eventbrite tickets. If you have the means, first give what you can. Otherwise, and additionally, help publicize the shit out of this event, uh, this fundraiser, and this collective. Tag us and we'll repost you. And before we start our regular credits, I want to give a special shout out to Samer Oweda, who helped us with some education about Palestinian issues and who really is a great person. Thank you, Samer. She's All Fat was created by me, Sophie Carter-Khan and April K. Quio, who graduated. We are an independent production. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash she's all fat pod. When you pledge to be a supporter, you'll get all sorts of goodies and extra content. Please make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's super important in making sure people find the show so we can grow the fat money. Our ads are done in partnership with Acast. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, you can get started at acast.com or send us an email. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to the stuff we mentioned today. And don't forget to send us your questions via email or voice recording to fyi at she'sallfatpod.com. Our theme music was composed and produced by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. Our website was designed by Jesse Fish. And our logo is by Hannah Sanger. Layla Oweda is our brand new editor. Lynn Barbera and Yelly Cruz produced this episode. Our thin crony forever is Maria Bortel. I am our host and co-producer. Our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter handles are at She's All Fat Pod. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Stay safe out there. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.